Hello and welcome to the Matthew Rocky Show for this week of March 7th. Thanks for taking the time to tune in for the podcast this week. We're going to get started with a couple of notes about the war in Ukraine. First of all, from the U.S. side, President Joe Biden announced a ban on all Russian oil imports Tuesday in the latest move from the United States to isolate Russia's economy in response to its invasion of Ukraine. This latest measure comes in addition to sanctions already placed on Russian financial systems and individuals in Russian President Vladimir Putin's inner circle. Biden said, quote, this is a move that has strong bipartisan support in Congress, and I believe in the country. Americans have rallied to support the Ukrainian people and made it clear that we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war, unquote. Biden acknowledged the move would cost Americans as well. It comes as gas prices in the United States reach record highs. Some major oil companies have also said they will not buy from Russia, including ExxonMobil, BP, and Shell. Russia provides 10% of the U.S. supply of natural gas and oil and roughly 40% of the European Union's. Foreigners who travel to Ukraine to fight alongside Ukrainian forces during the war with Russia can receive Ukrainian citizenship, a top official said on March 9th. First Deputy Interior Minister Yevon Yenin said the growing number of volunteers sign a contract and get military papers and are eligible for citizenship. Yenin said, quote, If such foreign nationals are interested in obtaining Ukrainian citizenship, our legislation provides for them such an opportunity, unquote. Ukraine recently created an international bridge composed of people from other countries who joined the fight against Russia, which invaded Ukraine in February. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky called shortly after the conflict began for foreigners to help Ukraine, and Zelensky said in early March that some 16,000 had volunteered. That number has increased to 20,000 as of Wednesday, according to the Kiev Independent. Britons who volunteered said they did so because they felt it was the right thing to do. Ukraine has also had a bolstering by tens of thousands of men reportedly returning from abroad. Propelled by surging costs in gas, food, and housing, consumer inflation jumped 7.9% over the past year, the sharpest spike since 1982, and likely only a harbinger of even higher prices to come. The increase reported Thursday by the Labor Department reflected the 12 months ending in February and didn't include most of the oil and gas price increases that have followed Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. Since then, average gas prices nationally have jumped by 62 cents a gallon to $4.32, according to AAA. Even before the war further accelerated price increases, robust consumer spending, solid pay raises, and persistent supply shortages had sent U.S. consumer inflation to its highest level in four decades. What's more, housing costs, which make up about a third of the government's consumer price index, have risen sharply, a trend that's unlikely to reverse anytime soon. The government's report Thursday also showed that inflation rose 0.8% from January to February, up from the 0.6% increase from December to January. 
Moving on to some other headlines across the United States, a 136-page interim report released by Special Counsel Michael Gableman states that he has uncovered numerous instances of lawbreaking in Wisconsin during the 2020 election. The former justice of the Wisconsin Supreme Court was hired last summer by the Speaker of the Wisconsin State Assembly, Robin Voss, to investigate suspected election fraud during the 2020 presidential election. In the March 1st report, Gableman wrote that his investigation has uncovered instances of numerous votes cast by mentally incompetent nursing home residents, non-citizens, and ineligible felons. He cited the use of unstaffed absentee ballot drop boxes by municipal and county clerks in violation of state law. Laws were also allegedly violated when the Wisconsin Elections Commission exceeded its authority by ordering local election officials to disregard state statutes that regulate absentee voting, according to the report. Gableman also raised concerns that private money influenced municipal officials in the state's five largest cities to disfavor many of their own citizens, as well as the vast majority of state residents, by spending millions of dollars of grant money on voter registration drives, absentee voter efforts, and get-out-the-vote campaigns designed to serve certain favored and specifically targeted racial groups in violation of the equal protection clauses of the state and federal constitution. Gableman offered a list of suggested reforms designed to restore public confidence in Wisconsin elections. Among his recommendations is a call to abolish the Wisconsin Elections Commission, prohibit outside money and personnel from participating in election administration, and improve training to better acquaint local election officials with their powers, duties, and rights. He also laid out the legal rationale for decertifying the state's 10 electors who voted for President Joe Biden. Biden was declared winner of Wisconsin's popular vote by 0.6%, or about 20,000 votes. Relying on the common law principle that fraud or illegality invalidates results under an illegal or fraudulent process, Gableman asserted that the state legislature had the constitutional power to decertify the results of the 2020 presidential election in Wisconsin because state laws were broken. Gableman alleged in the report also that Democratic political operatives paid for by grants from the Zuckerberg-funded nonprofit Center for Tech and Civic Life all but took over administration of the 2020 election in five of Wisconsin's largest cities. According to the report, as the COVID-19 pandemic raged in the spring and summer of 2020, the Center for Tech and Civic Life donated nearly $8.8 million to county clerks and municipal election administrators throughout Wisconsin. And turning now to the U.S. side again, Congress on Tuesday passed a sweeping bipartisan bill designed to overhaul the U.S. Postal Service's finance and operations with about $50 billion in financial relief that will span over the next decade. The Senate voted 79-19 to 19 for the bill, a month after the U.S. House of Representatives overwhelmingly approved the measure, it now heads to President Joe Biden's desk for his signature. Since 2018, the USPS has reported net losses of more than $90 billion. On Tuesday, the Postal Service reported a net loss of $1.5 billion for the quarter ending in December of 2021. Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, one of the bill's primary sponsors, said, quote, 
It has to be done because the Postal Service's business model just doesn't work. Having to deliver more and more packages and fewer and fewer more profitable first-class mail pieces to more and more addresses, unquote. Louis DeJoy, the Postmaster General, said in a statement last month after the House passed the bill that it would have the same operational and financial impacts as the self-help steps officials are taking at the Postal Service, quote, to provide the American people with the delivery service they expect and deserve, unquote. Officials had warned that the USPS could run out of cash by 2024 without congressional action. And from Florida, the Florida Senate voted this past week to advance the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which limits classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity. The next step is the governor's desk. Although Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has not said he would sign the bill, he has signaled approval by saying he thinks it would shield elementary-age students from, quote, inappropriate lessons on sex, unquote. He also accused the news media of creating a, quote, false narrative, unquote, about the intended meaning of the legislation. Many have been referring to it as the, quote, don't say gay bill, unquote, trying to imply that it would ban any talk of homosexuality within the classroom. However, the bill is designed for kindergarten through third graders. Quote, we're going to make sure that parents are able to send their kids to kindergarten without having some of this stuff injected into their school curriculum, unquote. The Republican governor said at a press conference on February 28th. National Democrats, LGBTQ advocates, and other groups have opposed the measure, saying it marginalizes LGBTQ people. The language in the bill that has stirred the most controversy reads, quote, Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through third grade or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards, unquote. Republican Senator Dennis Baxley, sponsor of the bill, said that more children are experimenting with their sexual identity and parents need to be in control of what they learn about sex. Quote, I think 75% of people I see polled on this bill agree with me that there's something wrong with how we're emphasizing this, unquote. Baxley said during debate on the bill. In other news related to health and education, if you're like most people, you're aware of the prevalence of high fructose corn syrup in the food supply and the ongoing concerns about its health effects, such as its contribution to obesity. Since 1980, soft drink producers have favored high fructose corn syrup over real sugar from cane or beets as a sweetener. Food processors have followed suit, and today HFCS is found in thousands of products, including fast food offerings, baked and bread goods, tomato-based sauces, breakfast cereal, fruit drinks, salad dressings, yogurt, canned soups, candy, and even medication. The price and availability of sucrose, especially cane sugar, often grown near the equator, fluctuates wildly, whereas corn is the largest U.S. crop and is also subsidized, so the price generally stands to be cheaper. HFCS is not popular with nutritionists, medical professionals, and food consumers as it has been with food producers. For example, as much as 92% of U.S. corn is genetically engineered and the long-term safety of GMOs hasn't been studied by the Food and Drug Administration. 
High fructose corn syrups links to obesity, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, and high blood pressure have been clear, and the Cleveland Clinic advises people to, quote, keep this sweetener out of your diet. According to the clinic's Dr. Mark Hyman, who works in the Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, said, quote, fructose goes straight to your liver and starts a fat production factory, unquote of triglycerides and cholesterol that raises the risk of non-alcoholic fatty liver diseases. New research that was recently published in a journal identifies new potential risks linked to HFCS that aren't limited to metabolic derangements. According to the authors, it's known that behavioral disorders such as ADHD, bipolar, and aggression may be linked to sugar intake and that culprit might be high fructose factors. Turning now to the world of sports and a few headlines to mention, Major League Baseball announced the postponement of opening day until at least April 14th. They are still trying to come to an agreement on a new collective bargaining agreement, which expired back in December. And from football, a couple of notes among quarterbacks. First of all, Carson Wentz was dealt from the Indianapolis Colts to the Washington Commanders taking on the new face of the franchise with the new name. Also, Russell Wilson was traded from the Seattle Seahawks to the Denver Broncos. And Aaron Rodgers has agreed to stay in Green Bay with the Packers on a four-year, $200 million deal. Rocky Show, where we bring you those unusual stories from across the United States over the last week. We're also going to mention some notes from this week in history, going back first to March 7th. It was in 1876 on that day that Alexander Graham Bell received a U.S. patent for his telephone. In 1817, on March 8th, the New York Stock and Exchange Board, which had its beginnings in 1792, was formally organized. It later became known as the New York Stock Exchange. On March 10th, a few notes. First, in 1496, Christopher Columbus concluded his second visit to the Western Hemisphere as he left for Spain. 1785, Thomas Jefferson was appointed America's Minister to France, succeeding Benjamin Franklin. In 1864, President Abraham Lincoln assigned Ulysses S. Grant, who had just received his commission as lieutenant general to the command of the armies of the United States. And then from this day in history, on March 11th, this back in 1942, as Japanese forces continued to advance in the Pacific during World War II, U.S. Army General Douglas MacArthur left the Philippines for Australia, where he vowed, quote, I shall return, unquote, a promise he kept more than two and a half years later. Well, I just want to take a moment and tell you something on a personal note. I can tie my shoelaces just by using the power of my mind, but I bet you don't believe me. I thought not. Moving right along to some other stories from this last week in more recent history. 
Uh, first of all, at a trampoline park in Utah, a very scary occurrence this past Monday. A 25-year-old father of two is alive thanks to the quick actions of a nursing assistant. Shortly after doing a flip at the trampoline park, the 25-year-old Tristan Lawrence went from feeling dizzy to going into cardiac arrest in Ogden, Utah. He and his family, including his two young children, were there celebrating a birthday. Thankfully, as the family and those around were in panic, a stranger named Chloe McCloy, who was at the trampoline park celebrating her six-year-old's birthday, uh, knew how to do CPR and jumped in. Lawrence had to be shocked seven times at the trampoline park and four times at the hospital. He will now live with a pacemaker in his heart, but... Uh, very excited and happy to be alive. And I would say definitely a huge praise to the Lord. Well, have you ever seen someone trying to steer a steer off the road using a steering wheel? Well, that is kind of an amusing way to look at it, but those watching KTTV in Los Angeles on Wednesday could say yes as they watched police and animal control workers try to corral a runaway steer. The drama started when the steer was seen on the 210 freeway in the San Fernando Valley. As video shot by a helicopter shows, police tried to angle the steer off the road and away from traffic on the main road. That worked, but it didn't end the saga. Uh, police nudged the steer into the parking lot of a small shopping area where the animal ran about trying to find another way out. Eventually, it was herded into an area where other cattle were, and it was captured with no apparent injuries. Well, it's a case of life imitating art in Texas. Some moviegoers in Austin who showed up to see The Batman ended up seeing a double feature as the movie was playing an actual bat was seen swooping inside the theater. The screening at the movie house and eatery was paused while management called animal control to try to get the bat out. The effort failed. News reports say guests were offered their money back, but most stayed to keep watching bat and all. Theater operators say the bat was likely released into the theater as a prank, and there were no reports of anyone being bitten. Well, that's good. Uh, I, it is actually really kind of funny to think about. Uh, you're watching a Batman movie, and all of a sudden you see a bat flying around the theater. And if it was a prank, uh, probably uh, not the smartest idea, but it's certainly highly amusing. Well, what started out as a fishing adventure, uh, an ice fishing adventure that is, became much more adventurous than three anglers had in mind. Authorities in Huron County, Michigan, say a homemade ice fishing shanty was blown a mile across Saginaw Bay on Sunday by winds that topped out at near 50 miles per hour. After getting a report about the shanty being blown about on the ice, deputies came out to see what was going on. The three fishermen who had occupied the shanty were able to make it across the ice to shore on their own, and all of them refused medical treatment. That would be the ride of your life. Uh, let me tell you, a mile across a frozen lake, uh, fr well, frozen bay technically, but either way, uh, talk about the stories there too. Well, you've heard plenty of stories about people rescuing cats from trees. Well, in this case, it was a person doing the rescuing who ended up needing the help. Authorities in Indianapolis say a 17-year-old boy was at Holiday Park on Saturday afternoon uh, last weekend when he saw a cat up a tree. He went to give the cat a hand, but before he realized it, he also needed a hand as well. 
That's when you cue the Indianapolis Fire Department. It was dispatched to use a rope system to lower the boy down to safety. And as for the cat, well, the owners had to hire a private company to get it down from the tree. Well, a couple of other notes for you. Uh, this one more a public service announcement for anyone who owns a dictionary. And I assume most of us probably do. A couple of things. I am questioning the usefulness of dictionaries. I mean, I had some free time the other day, and I opened up to some page and randomly started reading it, and I learned next to nothing. But then the other thing, too, that's concerning about it is I found this page in my dictionary that it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. I mean, what I saw on it was disgraceful, distasteful, disgusting, disingenuous, dishonest. I mean, I could go on. And so if you have that page in your dictionary, you may want to consider whether your kids are allowed to see that. And another thing, I wanted to ask you, why do birds fly to warmer climates in the winter? And I mean, honestly, the answer is real simple. It's simply because it's a lot faster than walking. But uh, maybe you didn't think of that yet. All right, we're going to move on to some other stories. This one out of Arizona. Do as I say, not as I do. That's the advice a New York City man is offering after having to be rescued twice on consecutive days while hiking in the mountains of northern Arizona. Philip Vasto needed back-to-back -back rescues as he tried to go up Humphreys Peak. The first day, the sheriff's office used a ski resort track vehicle to bring him down, and the second day, they had to use a helicopter. Now that Vasto has learned his lesson, he's gotten a pro tip for the rest of us. He says in an online post that hikers should, quote, wait for warmer weather, unquote. Well, a bronze bell cast in 1834 in Paul Revere's Massachusetts foundry has made its way back home. It was returned this past Friday to the Paul Revere Heritage Site near Boston. The bell has been away for a while. The son of the Revolutionary War patriot made it at his dad's foundry, but over the past 188 years, it has made the rounds. It was rung in two Ohio churches and was privately acquired by a California couple, but the couple's children wanted the public to be able to see and appreciate it, so they've donated the 1,000-pound bell to the Paul Revere Heritage Site. That's pretty incredible. A lot of history there uh, with that bell, and just think of uh, all the roots of where it came from. That's pretty incredible. Researchers have discovered the remarkably well-preserved wreck of polar explorer Ernest Shackleton's ship, Endurance in 10,000 feet of icy water a century after it was swallowed up by Antarctic ice during what proved to be one of the most heroic expeditions in history. A team of marine archaeologists, engineers, and other scientists used an icebreaker ship and underwater drones to locate the wreck at the bottom of the Weddell Sea near the Antarctic Peninsula. The Falklands Maritime Heritage Trust's search expedition, Endurance 22, announced the discovery on Wednesday. Images and video of the wreck show the three-mast wooden ship in pristine condition with a gold-leaf letters reading Endurance still affixed to the stern. The ship's lacquered wooden helm still standing upright as if the captain may return to steer it any time. Minson Bound, the director of the exploration, said, quote, This is by far the finest wooden shipwreck I have ever seen, and in a brilliant state of preservation, unquote. 
With a combination of deep dark waters, no sunlight penetrating to 10,000 feet, frigid temperatures and sea ice have frustrated past efforts to find endurance, but also explain why the wreck is in such good condition today. The expedition Endurance 22 embarked from Cape Town, South Africa in early February in a ship capable of breaking through three-foot-thick ice. The team, which included more than 100 researchers and crew members, deployed underwater drones that combed the seafloor for two weeks in an area where the ship was recorded to have sunk in 1915. The expedition to find Endurance comes a century after Shackleton's death in 1922, British historian and broadcaster Dan Snow, who accompanied the researchers, tweeted on Saturday, quote, 100 years to the day since Shackleton was buried, unquote. Wow, that is an absolutely incredible story. And I don't know if you're familiar with the story of endurance and Ernest Shackleton, but if not, definitely read the book. Uh, there's also a movie that came out about it in 2000. I've never seen that personally. But that might be another way to learn the story of just amazing perseverance experienced by that convoy over a hundred years ago. But uh, something that we can all learn lessons from. Definitely check it out if you have the time. Well, thanks for tuning in for the Matthew Rocky Show for this week of March 7th. It's been great to have you along for the podcast this week. I know it's a little bit shorter of a podcast than previous weeks. But stay tuned, we've got a lot of fantastic content planned for the weeks ahead. Uh, closing with a couple of different thoughts for you. First of all, if you are interested in investing, uh, experts that we have at the Matthew Rocky Show are letting us know that we should make you aware you should not invest in cemeteries. Apparently, that's a dying industry. And here's another thing. I mean, I'm not a big complainer, but I do have a complaint here. After all the years of technological development that we have had, how come I still have not seen a color photo of a panda or a zebra? I mean, I could rant for a while, but I'll just keep my complaints to myself. You have a great weekend. Fantastic week. We'll see you next time on the Matthew Rocky Show. Matthew Rocky Show.